0: Chango
1: chris and tangibly speaking listeners ah, uh, my name is tom i'm from seattle i was cleaning a house today and i found another poem by my wife uh, she died from cancer about five months ago and left me alone with my 10 year old daughter she wrote this poem about two weeks before she died so uh, here we go i am not going to cry I am not going to sob when she looks at me straight in the eyes. I cannot show her face, her innocence. Her childhood cannot be shadowed by white and red destroyed. Blood cells like petals frozen by fake spring. I have bruises on my knees from bowing in front of my creator, begging to fix me and fix me for once and all where in reality i deserve no pity jumping off of this ship called life i gave up steering it long ago so you will rip my sails with your knife don't bother i already set them on fire
0: Thank you, Tom. If you still listen to this podcast, please accept my apologies for not playing this as soon as you sent it. Um, it occurs to me that I'm like a dog that buries his favorite bones in special places. So he'll come back on a special day and dig up that bone. And then he forgets where he buried it. Because he's just a fucking stupid dog. That's how I feel sometimes. I do that with emails too. I, I'll get an email. Uh, you know, I'll get fifty emails, and there will be one from an old friend, and I'll, I'll answer all the, you know, the ones that are answerable in in a few sentences. Hey, thanks. You know, see you next week. Uh, bye, whatever, the little ones, the meaningless ones, the ones that don't really require much attention. And then I'll set the other one aside for that mystical, mythical day in the future when I've got tons of time on my hands and my mind is focused and I can give it the attention it really deserves. And of course, you know how this turns out, I end up forgetting all about it. And so I end up shooting myself in the foot by doing exactly the opposite of what I'm trying to do. Um, and that's the case with your poem. I, I'm sure that when it came in, I listened to it and I said, okay, let's hold on to this and use it at just the right time with just the right guest. And, uh, and I don't know how long ago that was, but I don't remember. So it's been a while. So I'm sorry. And I hope you're feeling better now. Um, there's no recovery. It's interesting. I... You know, it's again, cliches abound, but you read these people who say, you know, you don't, grief isn't about recovering. It's, it's just finding a way to sort of grow around the wound, you know, like a, I don't know, like a nail in a tree or something, right? It doesn't expel the nail. It, if it survives, it just grows around it and somehow incorporates it. And I think that's how grief seems to work but i found something interesting recently in my own grieving process with my father which is he died almost 5 years ago now and um he's more present now in my consciousness than he was even when I was at the height of the grief right after he died, or I I would also say even before he died, in a strange way. Which is that, you know, at the end of his life, he was a tired, faded, somewhat withered version of himself. And um, as that memory of him, the memory of that version of him, has faded with time, my comprehensive memory of him has become more inclusive of the earlier versions of him that I knew when I was a kid or, um, you know, when I would come back and visit after a trip or something and, you know, throughout my life. And because those versions of him were more energetic and happier and, and, you know, more vital and alive, my vision of him has shifted to sort of a greener, younger, much more alive, um, presence of him. So it's an, it's an interesting sort of counterintuitive process that I've experienced, um, And, you know, I wish that for you as well, Tom, and and for anyone else who has lost someone, especially someone who is in pain or suffering or a diminished version of themselves toward the end. The more you can let go of those more immediate memories, maybe earlier, fresher memories and happier memories will be allowed to emerge. Here's hoping, right? We never know. Uh this episode is with Michael Harrell, H A R R E L L. He uh rode a bike from Alaska to Chile. Crazy fucker. Except for Peru. Well you'll hear about that. Um I'm glad to say he, he uh <laughs> he took a more rational approach to Peru. Um, but yeah, cool guy, really interesting. And, uh, and, and strangely as often happens in these things when, when you're like, what, you rode a bike from Alaska to Chile. That's crazy. You start talking about it. And so how'd you get into riding bikes? And then he's like, well, you know, I did that year long trip through Asia. And you're Like what? So this isn't even like necessarily the biggest bike trip you've ever done. Holy shit. Um, anyway, yeah. So this is uh this is a great conversation with, uh, A real adventurer and and we talk about a lot of the internal aspects of an adventure like this you know the the things that happen when you're alone in your tent night after night after night after night after night and you're alone on your bike day after day after day after day day. uh you know there's something that happens there that um I don't know if it necessarily mimics the external, uh, you know, manifestation of the journey you're on, but it's definitely another journey. Speaking of internal journeys, uh, just a couple of hours ago, I went to a, a sort of a potluck lunch that was happening here in Crestown. I sat down next to a guy randomly and started chatting and, uh, he's just sort of passing through on his, you know, just sort of exploring the West in a van. And, uh, we got to talking about darkness uh, retreats, which he's pretty into, and he's uh, he's done as much as eight days in total darkness, and uh, his description of it was pretty amazing, pretty trippy. Um, so I I got his number, and next time he's in Cristo, maybe we'll sit down and talk about that. Seems like an interesting thing to do. Uh where are my notes here? I made some, oh Jesus I'm knocking shit off my desk. Um yeah, so I, I just wanna to let people know I've started doing something a little different. Um there's an open thread at my Substack that I, I put up every month for people to chat and generally it's just for paying subscribers. But I've decided what I'll do is like the first week or so, I'll keep it for paying subscribers only, and then I'll just open it up for everybody um, just to give the paying subscribers a chance to, to get in and chime in before, uh, you know, everybody shows up. It's kind of like, you know, you invite the, the people who helped set up the party, you invite them to eat before the public arrives. So that's sort of the idea there. But anyway, it's open, uh, and this month's... Open thread. The question is I, I just ask a question. You don't even have to address the question. It's just a place to, to meet other people and chat about whatever you want. Um, but I'll normally ask a question just to get the conversation started. And the question this month is Is there any shortcut? Is there any way um, to sort of shortcut or, or foolproof? the process of getting to know someone and knowing whether or not you can actually trust them. And I have to admit that I asked this question because of some experiences I've had, you know, and, and we all have them. And I don't know. I, I think they're the most painful experiences that, that I have in, in life, which is when you think someone is a friend, like a real friend, like someone You're going to know forever. And then, you know, they move away or you move away or they get married or, I don't know, something happens, whatever it is. Maybe nothing happens. And they just fade out. Uh, Could be that they fade out. Could be that they've decided that the friendship no longer makes sense for them. But they don't explain it. They don't address it. They just ghost you. Which, by the way, is something that's happened for centuries, but I think we just came up with a word for it (laughs) since the advent of social media. But, you know, people would not answer letters back in the day, not answer, you know, telegrams or whatever. Uh... So yeah, the the thing happened. But it's it's weird. I and I don't know I mean, I think about this a lot because I don't know if it's because I'm, you know, I'm older and I feel like I should have this shit figured out by now, or if it's just a perennial problem, or if I'm just a bad judge of character, or I don't know what it is, but I feel like every year or so I'll just be totally surprised by someone who I thought was like super mensch just isn't and you know it's not to say that people don't have a right to end friendships of course they do we all have to because we only have a certain capacity and you know to to have room for new people to come into that inner circle of your life somebody has to make room you know and um So I don't begrudge anyone the right to reshuffle who's in and who's out and, you know, Um, but without any kind of explanation, um, it feels like a very passive aggressive knife in the back kind of thing. And I, I, I hate the whole concept of closure and, you know, finding the body is going to make you less upset about the death or something. I don't know. I've never been through that. Maybe it does help, but it seems like a weird kind of artificially constructed, um, idea to me. Um, but I have to admit that when it comes to, to friendships that end or transition into something else, uh, the lack of the consideration of, of facing the difficult conversation, even if it's an email or a text and just saying, look, you know, since I got together with this woman, um, you know, there's some friends of mine. There's some friendships that she's uncomfortable with. And, you know, I'm sorry, but, you know, the, the, I, I got to like sort of reshuffle things Um Yeah, that's not an easy thing to say to someone, but if that's the truth, and if you give a shit about the person, even though you're not going to have them as an intimate friend in the foreseeable future, I do feel like we owe each other something, you know, it's like, it's like the guy who fucks the woman and doesn't call her the next day. It's like, that is such a lame move, man. It's so lame. Um... Because it leaves her questioning everything. And it's it's like this with these friendships. It's like, did I offend you? Did I forget something? Did I call someone the wrong name? Did I, you know, like, what the fuck happened? And And it leaves the other person just questioning everything. You know, which is a lame thing to do to someone, especially if there's nothing really for them to question. It's it's coming from you. It's your discomfort. It's, um, you know, your marriage that can't uh, deal with the fact that you're friends with an ex, you know? That's your hang-up and your new partner's hang-up. has nothing to do with your ex. And here he or she is thinking, Jesus, I was really careful and I was so happy to be friends with you and, and what the fuck, what did I do? Yeah, don't do not do that to people. I know it. it's hard not to. It's so much easier to just fade away and, you know, pretend they don't exist anymore in the modern world where we can live our entire lives and never see people who used to be really close to us. But it's a lame thing to do. And if there is such a thing as karma, it's coming back at you. So anyway, that's why I asked that question. There's some interesting responses already in the open thread. So that's at chrisryan.substack.com. And you'll see just in the posts, I think the most recent one is the open thread or the one right before that. All right, without further ado, I'm going to get to this conversation with Michael. For those of you who are listening to The free version of this episode, we will just go straight to the interview, the conversation. And for those of you who are listening to the paid episode, you're going to get to hear some pretty cool music and my discussion of why this is such cool music. Also, those of you listening to the paid episode, uh, you'll receive a link to the video of this conversation with Michael if you prefer to watch the video. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody i guess i'll be seeing some of you in montana soon can't wait and the rest of you sending you lots of love we'll be thinking of you bye we're recording
2: there it is right yeah thanks for having me on man i really appreciate it it's kind of an
0: honor yeah (laughs) well i'm i'm happy to to meet you it's cool uh So I guess, you know, give people some background, uh, although I'm sure I'll, I'll mention it in the intro, but what led you to get on your bike and do something so freaking epic as ride from (laughs) Alaska to Chile? I mean, you could have just, you know, you could have done, have you done bike trips in the past? Like, is this Uh, a culmination? Uh, Yeah,
2: yeah, I have. Um, i did one about four years ago uh all through asia um uh, okay yeah and, so this
0: is uh this is an addiction you have
2: <laughs> uh kind of it's definitely like uh an itch that i just have to scratch and like you know this is not the last one i wouldn't think either it might be my last like one of this length right um but it's definitely something that i i, I really love i i uh, it's it's for me. It's the the best way to travel.
0: Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So so how many how many long bike trips have you done?
2: Um. I've done this would be my second like year long one, and I've done several like you know weeks here and there, um, week long ones. Uh, I'm a teacher, and so I get summers off and spring mm-hmm. break things like that. Right. And um, I love hiking too, so I do a lot of those trips as well.
0: <laughs> what uh, What do you teach?
2: Um, I actually just got hired at a new school uh, here in Virginia and I'm teaching English as a second language with a focus on world history and government
3: mm. and
2: this will be for high school um, yeah which is an age I haven't taught for a little while I was doing middle school before and yeah so like if you asked me a couple of years ago what would be a perfect job for me as a teacher it would be teaching world history to ESL students like
0: yeah, that's mm. my jam. All right, well, I'll I'll be careful not to say anything that might get you fired in this episode.
2: Yeah, I'll try to do the same.
0: <laughs> yeah, it seems to be pretty easy to get fired from American educational institutions these days. Holy cow.
2: I mean, yeah, if, if you step on the wrong toe, it does seem that way. Like, Yeah. Uh, it, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, Hey, listen, can we take a break? I just want to, I, I hear somebody at the door. I'm going to run down and, and deal with that situation real quickly.
2: No problem. Right. Should we stay on the Zoom then?
0: Yeah, just stay here. I'll, I'll be right back. So tell me about the first time you got on a bike and took off uh, for more than a week or so. What, what was the first <laughs> sort of trip that that put you out on that trajectory?
2: Um yeah so like I I was a English teacher in China for about 6 years and um you know it's just in the summer I was traveling uh through Europe and I met a guy in Georgia that uh had cycled to Tbilisi from Austria and like it it blew my mind like I must I was a cyclist already and like that's you know one of my hobbies obviously and um and so I was like you can really cycle like like that and he's like yeah 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 he's like I'm going all the way to um you know Singapore and I was like okay well if you come through China like you know let me know and then uh sure enough he came through uh, I was living in Yunnan and he came through and then we just kind of uh, I joined him for a couple of days on my on my road bike with a backpack and that really was like eye opening to what like travel and just cycle tourism could be. And then the first real one I did on my own was the the year long one. Like, you know, I did a weekend here and there, but then, uh, yeah, starting in Beijing, I headed north and into Mongolia and I crossed all the Mongolia by bike and then entered through um, Xinjiang in Western China and did all of Western China through uh, Qinghai, Sichuan, uh, Yunnan, um, and then Southeast Asia and ended in Jakarta and Indonesia. Holy shit. That's yeah.
0: awesome. Wow. I
2: was, I was lucky enough to be one of in that brief little time period when uh Myanmar or Burma was open and you mm. could kind of travel more or less freely. And I think it shut down like a year or two later after that. They had their little coup. Um, their little but, coup. Yeah. yeah
0: <laughs> It I, yeah, Myanmar, Myanmar is a, a bummer. I Myanmar is like a I don't know if you've heard me talk about. I, I had a plan long, long ago uh, to go and be one of the first Westerners in Myanmar. After um, you know, I, I anticipated that the government, the military junta, was going to fall in the late yeah. '80s, early '90s because. <laughs> Lanyan sun she had just won the Nobel Peace Prize, and there was all this economic pressure, uh, you know, um, um, what's the word? Uh, sanctions, economic sanctions. Yeah. There's all this, and it was like, okay, that's about to go. Apartheid was ending in South Africa. There was like a wave of liberalization sweeping the world, and I had this whole plan. Like, I'm going to be the way, I'm just sort of poised. I had my ESL certificate. And I was going to be <laughs> like one of the first... <laughs> You know, Western English teachers to roll in there, and I was, you know, twenty-seven or twenty-eight. I, everything was perfect. And The fucking generals never gave up; they'd never <laughs> let go. Of those fuckers. Oh,
2: uh, yeah, and, and they're back, man. They're, <laughs> they're back. back. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like and it's such a, you know, you, like every country that you go to, you meet the people, and the people are not, you know, they're not militaristic or violent. They're kind. They're generous. They they like having you there. Um, yeah. You know, they like that you're interested in, in them or their country. And like I said, it's not true. It's true for, for Burma, but everywhere, but you know, you go and see the, what's happening in, at ground level. And it's like, what is going, like what happened? How did, you know, it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: it's, it's almost, I mean, I hate to think this way because it, the implications are horrifying, but there, in my experience, there's almost an inverse correlation between the oppressiveness of the government and the kindness and openness of the people. I... And, you know, almost like you could line it up with poverty too, right? Like the more money people have, the more suspicious they are, the more protected they are, the more kind of, you know, security forces and all that kind of stuff, whereas places i've been that have been very poor that's where the people are most open and invite you into their house and they're not worried they're they're not suspicious they're they're kind of fearless in this beautiful innocent sort of way um yeah i don't know have you have what's your impression is there a correlation between mm, you know sort of general generalized wealth
2: levels and how open people have been to you Uh, I don't know if it's a strong correlation, it's, but, uh, I will say that, um, you know, people ask me like the question, like what surprised me on the trip? And, uh, like to your point, uh, when I went through Honduras, I was surprised at how, uh, generous the people were there. Like, and that was one that, you know, I kind of did some research about It's, it's also like, you know, dangerous for what everybody tells you and and so when i went there people were not just generous but genuinely curious about me and Mm -hmm. they don't they don't have that many tourists coming through and especially the areas that you just happen to be on with a bicycle right um that they are they are just like you know what is this guy about and they're not they're not looking for money they're not trying to sell you something and like they just want to talk to you and i was also surprised at how well so many Hondurans could speak English like my Spanish is not great it got better through the, the trip of course but um you know these people were either had lived in the states wanted to live in the states had family that moved there or family that moved back and um but yeah I would say that that was the uh I don't know if oppressive is the right word but like unexpected that their kindness and generosity was was a surprise and then
3: mm.
2: and same with uh when i was going through colombia um which is a fantastic country one of my favorites on this on this trip uh i met a lot of uh refugees that from venezuela and them too like they you know, god knows what hardships they'd been through to to get out of venezuela and what they'd seen or had to had to do Um, but uh, there was a few times where I got stuck. Well, I didn't get stuck, but I'd cycle through these big traffic jams. Like there'd be mudslides and things like that. And um, I would talk to the refugees and, you know, see how they're doing and like just find out a little bit about them. Like what were they doing in Venezuela? And, you know, it's tricky because you don't want to touch on, you know, it's it's not a super comfortable subject, but every time I talk to them, they always were smiling. They were always, again, asking questions about me and like a genuine conversation where no one was expecting anything from the other person. Mm. And it's something that is a little bit rare in today's world. And it was something I just really enjoyed. And it's enjoyment. It's uh, hard to take pleasure from someone else's like, you know yeah. situation but it's like the, that's not what i mean you know yeah it's just that experience of interaction um yeah and in fact like when i was riding and i was struggling up a hill and it was again during one of these giant uh uh traffic jams and you know i talked to a group of people they told me their story about you know they have uh they brought their, their cat with them. And so they have, you know, it's a family with a cat and it's like, they're riding on the back of these trucks and um, them. And they met up with another group of of people that were traveling the same direction. And um, when I finished talking to them, I was like, man, I got to go up this hill. And then I feel at my back, like all this pressure and they were pushing me up the hill. Mm. <laughs> and it's just again like that generosity it's like it's very human i don't know
0: <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i mean maybe i'm looking for for sort of general principles that and i should just leave things at the level of specifics but hmm. i do feel like there's something about the less you have the more you're willing to give
2: i uh, would agree with that though um yeah I, I, again it's yeah, I, I, yeah, it's hard to generalize a whole thing, but I would say more cases than not uh, when you get to uh, hard to say. Yeah,
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember talking a long, long time ago in the 80s when I was living in Manhattan. I remember talking with a homeless dude. And uh, and he said, you know, the nicer people's clothes are, the less likely they are to give me anything. Um, you know, it's like, and, and I've thought about that a lot over the years. And, you know, like when I was hitchhiking, I I never expected like a flashy new BMW to stop and pick me up. Right. right? It it was the old, (laughs) you know, just barely running Volkswagen van, you know, like the car that maybe they didn't have enough gas money and they were looking like, maybe I'd pitch in or, you know, it's it makes sense. Like when you're, when you're close, when you're close to your limit, the, the sort of, you know, cooperation and, 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 you know, um, sort of everyone helping each other, it makes more sense because you need it too. You're receiving, right? Those people were on the back of somebody's truck. They were receiving generosity from someone. And so you're already in that kind of, you know, economy of, of give and take and, and help people and get helped by people. It makes more sense when you're sort of behind your security walls and your bulletproof glass and all that shit. You're not, you don't need anything. So why would you give anything? You know, it's yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Well, the reason why I was pushing back a little bit on it is this like when I, in China, for example, I, I, I would say China's heading in that direction of like, they have everything and therefore maybe not giving because they have. And, but in my experience, it it was not that way. I found Mm. the Chinese very, again, very generous and really willing to go out of their way to help you or find an answer to a question. Um, And so that's, that's uh, Malaysia too, which is kind of on the wealthier end. And yeah, yeah but
0: well it's also there's also cultural stuff right i mean that's chinese culture thing. yeah you know conf- of my,
2: yeah
0: yeah <laughs> and also as you know you do you speak chinese i imagine i do to some extent right so you're there what six years you said yep yeah so I don't imagine they meet many Westerners who, who they can actually communicate with And That's
2: another thing, yeah, that I also kind of factor into this probably, you know, somewhat biased <laughs> opinion. But yeah, that is also quite a shock to them when yeah, <laughs> they're traveling around somewhere and they meet a guy on a bicycle and start spitting some chinese at them right right that's
0: awesome that's really cool i one of one of my regrets is i traveled a lot in latin america before i spoke spanish and then i learned spanish later and it was like oh man so many
2: much i
0: missed so much exactly yeah yeah and it was stupid it was like if i had known i was going to learn spanish eventually anyhow you know i i should have just set aside 6 months and learned it and then exactly
2: you know, that is that is definitely one of the lessons i learned on this trip was like next trip i go like i am learning the language of wherever i happen to be like right. not knowing spanish uh, like i said it got better and i could be somewhat conversational towards the end of the trip but you know you're just learning it on the fly i'm not actually sitting down and like right you know memorizing the correct terms and certainly not the grammar um but yeah like you just you miss out on a lot of opportunities. Like I would. I met other people, other cyclists that could speak Spanish very well, and it's like, man, their experience is so much different than mine. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So, uh, but you know, in Asia, that wasn't an option, right? You're not going to learn, you know, all right, the like different bi- languages and th- dialects. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, um, but there's the thing. It's like, you know, I met uh, yet another guy that was traveling through, and. Um, and he 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 was fed up with uh Latin America. He's like, Man, I just I've traveled through Asia and uh and here I can't speak Spanish and I don't know why that's getting to me so hard. And I was I told him it's like probably because they expect you to speak Spanish. Whereas mm. you go to Cambodia and nobody expects you to know Khmer right. or Burmese. So I think that is that or Chinese for that matter, and uh I think that was a big factor in like how you're perceived even as a tourist like you, you should speak spanish <laughs> it's expected
0: right and it's one language for the whole damn continent like yeah. dude you know you're gonna spend a year here come on what are you doing i know, I know. and, and it it's not really, a difficult like,
2: language either spanish is really easy that was one thing that i'd have to like be kind of humble or not humble uh i would have to admit to because like you know after a while you you memorize the first you know five seven questions that everybody asks you and then i got to a point where it sounded really good it sounded fluent and then <laughs> they started asking you like more questions and you're like oh, i guess got they, the wrong idea
0: yeah right <laughs> yeah yeah the packaging is great but the product right, is yeah uh, yeah, yeah. i it? my i mean i'm really bad with languages unlike you you seem to have more facility i'm i'm really bad but uh my thing with Spanish was, you know, once I lived in Spain um, and was teaching English, I found teaching English to Spanish kids was the best possible way for me to learn Spanish. Because I would I teach them something and they'd t- teach me, right? And it was a fun game and they loved it. And so it's like, okay, I'm learning more than these kids are probably, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it was great to get through those initial uh, you know, the basic grammar and expressions and all that. And, um, yeah, after a few months in Spain, when people would say to me, well, how long have you been speaking Spanish? And I'd say, you know, three, four months or something. And they'd be like, wow, three or four months. That's dude, good job. Right. And that lasted up to maybe a year or maybe two years, at which point the expression was more like, huh, a year, huh? (laughs)
2: <laughs> so you're not fluent, and you still don't
0: have the subjective down. Yeah, uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, man. I, yeah, I can totally empathize with that. But yeah. Luckily in China, it doesn't matter if you say like 10, 10 years; they're still. Impressed.
0: If you speak anything at all, yeah, yeah, that's cool. So, like, oh, uh, just it in the <laughs> so that that I just wanted before we move on to Latin America, I I sure. didn't know there was this whole Asian trip like that. Is just incredible. So you're teaching English in China and you're like, okay, I'm going to go off on my bike. You do this crazy Mongolia, Western China, where very few tourists ever, ever go to Western China,
2: because yeah, that's, that's so more like much.
0: Uyghurs. Yeah. And
2: yeah, 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 correct.
0: I mean, that's not even what we imagine when we think of Chinese. I know there are a correct. lot of Han Chinese yeah. out there, but, you know, that's more sort of Afghanistan Kazakhstan, like that kind of yeah. vibe right it's, it's it's muslim and and it's got a whole different cultural context yeah for
2: sure it's definitely central asia and not east asia like 100 percent. and it's it's i went twice to xinjiang um and the first time i went was the first year i was in china like i'd only been there for a couple of months and you know, we had the summer break, so I was like, well, I'm gonna go check out this spot. And um and I loved it. It's like uh at the time, um Hu Jintao was still in power. Xi Jinping hadn't taken over yet. And um the the attitude was different. And I think a long time ago you interviewed two podcasters or YouTubers from China. Right. They had it dead on, man. They like I arrived maybe a year before they left and you know they could see the writing on the wall and in my experience i i totally understood everything that they were saying about how china had changed in that regard it's
1: mm.
2: it's more restrictive and well anyway let me uh before we get onto that, <laughs> that tangent um so yeah western china when i was there the first time you know uh they had night markets open and you know the, in the public squares all through the country they have like Uh, dancing like anyone they play somebody sets up a speaker people join they dance together and you had han chinese dancing with the uyghur people and it's i mean it sounds beautiful you know it sounds almost corny um and then the and in the night markets they'd have like all that barbecue you know you see from central asia like these long skewers and you know uh plov which is that rice dish with like raisins and nuts in it and delicious. And they had these uh, kids that'll bring you a beer, cold beer out of the tap. And it's, you know, it's a Muslim country, but it's still China. So they have like, you know, freedoms and restrictions from both. Um, That was one that was a freedom. And uh, when I, and it was nice because it's in t- in China, it's one time zone. And this is far west, far north China and mm. in the summertime. So it wouldn't get dark until like 11 p.m. Right. And so you go to the night market and, you know, it's a nice sunny day. <laughs> it's like 9 p.m. Um, but then when I went back the, the second time, which is maybe four years, five years into Xi Jinping's... Um, uh, no, rain, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was completely different. Like, you know, people. It almost looked like everyone had a frown on their face. in, in a way, it, it was. It completely changed. Um, you know, the people weren't mixing together. The night markets had all been shut down. Um, mm-hmm. Even the hostel I'd stayed at before had been bulldozed. I was, like, which was just a very. I don't think it had anything to do with anything, but. It just got in the way, but um, but it was just kind of a uh, metaphorical to like how I felt about the place the second time around, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's a, uh, it's right there on the Silk Road, and it still has these ancient cities that uh, are just, you know, nothing but rubble now, and like no one's lived there for hundreds of years. But the walls are still there, and uh, it just looks so like ancient it's just such from a different time and a different a different world altogether. it's uh it's really beautiful like i i I enjoyed xinjiang a lot but like i said it's gone through a lot of changes and i don't think it's getting doesn't sound like it's getting any better since the last time i was there
0: and did you go through mongolia as well you said
2: yes yes uh
0: yeah which which is (laughs) as now mongolia i know is an independent country yeah ostensibly but is it primarily under russian influence or chinese influence at this point
2: um that's a good question i would say again when i was there it had more russian influence still um Like the the alphabet they were using, I think they may have changed it back recently. I'm Mm. not sure about that, but they were Mm. still using Cyrillic letters. Okay. And however, like China has such investment all over the place. And I think that is one of the big targets for them with mining and whatnot. Uh, They might be getting more Chinese influence. Mm. That being said, I think they have such a history together. Like Mongolia wants no part of either of them. Right. Uh, you know, they, they really dig doing their own thing. Like it's still quite nomadic and like outside of Ulaanbaatar, the capital, like it's, I would say 90% nomads. Like it's really a a tremendously unique country. I I, I highly recommend doing it. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So are there roads that you, you were on road the whole time, right? You're not like on mountain bikes or something.
2: Correct. It's a, it's a, heavy it's a fully loaded touring bike steel frame it weighs a ton um but i like traveling it's funny because i tell people i like traveling comfortably and they're like what are you doing you're on a bicycle (laughs) get a motorcycle (laughs) where's your SUV man yeah but it's like you know i bring like a cot and uh like sleeping bag i have like a fan
0: (laughs) really wow i get
2: set up i want to be set up man so Uh, how
0: much how much how many pounds uh of gear do you carry
2: in the end it's not crazy but i'd say upward of 50 pounds hmm. so, so like if
0: a cot i mean that's a that's a serious commitment that's a major decision <laughs> right there
2: well you know i, I went to but like literally i think it was a day or two before i left on this was a recent addition uh day before i left on this trip um i went to rei to pick up some odds and ends and um and i was looking i was like they got these cots here though like wh- you know, I laid down on it and it's just perfect. I was like, all right, I'll buy this. And if it works out, it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And, it's a nice um,
0: gift. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, and then, uh, but it doesn't, it weighs like a, it's a lightweight cot, you know, it weighs like a pound and a half or something. Um, But worth it. <laughs> if,
0: if anyone hears a weird noise in the background, I'm lowering my adjustable desk right now. There. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah.
2: It looks funny because it looks like you are raising up
0: <laughs> <laughs> the background stays the same
2: what about the background didn't move.
0: i've just gotten three feet taller uh <laughs> yeah so uh yeah cots are i i mean i'm 61 so i'm definitely into the you know beyond the age where sleeping on the ground is is really something i want to be doing right. um but I imagine after you've been riding all day, getting out that cot must feel really good, just to be up, no bugs to worry about, no rocks.
2: Right. Yeah. Or, was... Do you you
0: have a tent as well?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like I said, I'm fully loaded. <laughs> Got the yeah. stove. Uh, I would say like the clothes is where I cut down weight a lot. Uh, like I have like two cycling outfits, and then one outfit that's for not cycling, and then one basically a t-shirt that's dedicated for sleeping only um so you're like
0: wearing spandex are you are you one of those like french dudes nah, out there I mean... you have your sponsors <laughs> and all that
2: uh i definitely That's. i would alternate between just regular underwear and then like cycling shorts as underwear but i would definitely wear shorts over that right because you know you walk into a store and like i don't really <laughs> even like I don't know if you're in Bolivia or something, you start walking around in spandex people are right. they already look at you funny enough. So. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> Goofball with, with like one of those helmets with the wing going back. Yeah. yeah and
2: like the teardrop. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a big thing in Spain. I, I, it's not a sport. I really understand that, that whole, like, you know, the French, with, with the, the thing they do oh, the in France. France. Yeah. The tour de France. Yeah.
2: One one right now, man.
0: <laughs> What's that?
2: going on right now
0: yeah i think i think so yeah i mean they always have these terrible crashes and it just looks like oh my god dudes i don't know i mean i like riding bikes i've got uh electric assist mountain bike which i ride every day it's awesome
2: people people ask me about those and they're like do you think that's cheating or what and i'm like no i think whatever gets more people on bicycles." I'm a hundred percent for it. So, and I've ridden yeah. them and they're, they're cool. Like,
0: they're uh, cool, dude. I It would be hard for me to go back to a normal bike at this point. Cause <laughs> the, th- the thing is like uphill and downhill, it doesn't matter. You yeah. know, it's great. And I, I fantasize about getting, you know, a fold out solar panel uh, and some saddle bags and like taking that thing, you know, across Utah or something where, <laughs> you know, if I could just, if I could charge up the battery, but it doesn't work out, uh, you know, energy wise, um, well,
2: like, uh, they have the trail system. Um, they have like a dedicated cycle network down the West coast and the, it's the route one and they have every campground, they have like hiker, biker area. And most of them have electrical outlets. Oh, and, really? Yeah.
0: Oh, that's like cool.
2: Fire stuff. Yeah. And right. it's like, they only every like 20 miles or so like i mean you know do research and whatnot but it's a, it's hugely popular like, i yeah that's where i met most of the cyclists on this trip anyway <laughs>
0: right right. so you so that trip was a year you you did mongolia you went down into
2: yeah. burma then through thailand so yeah i did so through west and southwest china i didn't get to tibet that is that was was and seems to always have been restricted for you know, yeah. years. Maybe,
0: well, I'm so. surprised you you were even allowed into Western China. I mean, that's been, you know, restricted as well for quite a while.
2: Right. Yeah. It's, you definitely have to go through checkpoints. You get a lot of questions, but again, if you're fortunate enough to speak some Chinese, right. the guards are like, Oh, cool. <laughs> as long but, as you're not doing anything totally ridiculous. like." And
0: but that never made them think maybe this guy's a spy. Why is this white guy speak Chinese?
2: um i mean you're still on a bicycle <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's
0: true that's true yeah
2: yeah so, yeah so i went through um sichuan yunnan and then i entered southeast asia and vietnam uh, and then went to laos oh, thailand,
0: wow
2: uh across thailand to burma back into thailand down to um i got into singapore but went back up to uh, a town called Mal- uh, malacca and they have a ferry that takes you into um sumatra from there
0: oh yeah 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 did you go to uh oh what's did you go up the river to bucatingi by any yeah chance? man no
2: really <laughs> I, yeah, I was on you, that same boat uh no i took a bicycle there's a road there now oh uh, but uh yeah but bucatingi still there and they still have the zoo <laughs> <laughs> <Fuck>. <laughs> A <laughs> sad I did not it, But but uh, it's definitely on the little tourist map that they give.
0: <laughs> Bukittinggi, yeah, I climbed that uh, volcano outside of Bukittinggi. That was one of the most horrible <laughs> days of my life. That was oh my god! What happened? Oh man, it was just a bad idea from beginning to end. The whole thing was a mess. It was. <clears throat> my girl my on and off girlfriend came and was traveling with me that was a bad move i won't go into details there but that was just that just shouldn't have happened and i i don't know like we were in we were in um oh, i forget the name of the town in malaysia where there's a lot of really good indian food penang i think uh, maybe is that is that malaysia there, it's Yet. an island is it the one?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, uh, damn it. What is the name of that town? It's like Georgetown or something like that. Um I don't know. I, I, know I
0: remember anything. there was a funicular and uh that um, there was a, a geodesic dome Buckminster Fuller had designed. He'd actually been there. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, long story. But basically, I bought this, this um, boom box. Cause I thought, oh, we should have some music, you know, we're hanging out sure. in the room playing cards. So I got a boom box in for, you know, $50 in some market somewhere. And then after a week carrying this boom box around, I realized this was the dumbest idea ever. So we're in Bukatingi and this guy comes up to me in a cafe and he's like, Hey, I'm a local guide. Would you like to go, you know, join a group? I'm taking up the volcano. And I, and I was like, well, I don't really want to, I, <laughs> What if I gave you this boom box? Would you take just me and my girlfriend like a private trip? And it was like, you know, worth 10 times whatever he was charging. So I figured it was a good deal for him. Good deal for us. We got a private guide guided trip up the fucking volcano. So he agreed. And uh, it was one of these things where you set off really early in the morning in order to get up and back, you know. And so we had to spend the night at his His parents house in the village at the base of the volcano. So we we go out there, we get a taxi or whatever, and we're out there. And okay, we meet the family and it's all awkward and weird and everything. And because also my girlfriend was Puerto Rican. And so everyone thought she was local, right? So right. there was that whole weirdness, right? Like this dark skinned woman and the white guy and what's going on? Is she a prostitute? What's up?
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, and as you know, Sumatra's pretty Muslim, and so there was, you know, all sorts of awkwardness. Anyway, finally it's time to go to bed. He rolls out some um these mats, and everybody's got their blankets, and they all go to sleep, and we're and he doesn't give us blankets. And we're like oh. And and we're just sort of waiting, and nothing, nobody comes with blankets, and we don't want to be rude, but everybody's got blankets, and not us, and we've got sleeping bags we could have brought, you know. But he didn't tell us. Finally, I go over to the guy, and I'm like, "Hey, uh, are there blankets? More blankets?" And he said, "Oh no, you're white. You don't need blankets."
2: Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Never heard that before. What?
0: Yeah. So anyway, the next day we climb the mountain. It's horrible. It's raining. Everything's covered in slime. We're like climbing over these tree trunks and slipping, and then we're covered with this slime. We get to the top of the mountain. There, there, it's all clouded in. You can't see anything. There's no view. You can't even see the like volcanic crater. You know that's full of water now. Nothing. And then we we kind of crawl under this this uh, fallen tree to get some shelter and and eat and it turns out he hasn't brought any food so he wow. wants our food so we've got to share we got like you know two cans of deviled ham or some horrible <laughs> dog food is this
2: is what you want <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway then we start going down my girlfriend dislocates her knee Oh
2: damn!
0: and so she she i'm like helping her uh, hopping along on this horrible trail and she just can't go so I need to put her over my shoulders like a fireman carry. And now I'm slipping and sliding. I've got her on top of me. He won't help. All he's doing is saying, we got to get out of here. We got to get down. We can't stay in the, spend the night here. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's freaking out. Yeah, it was <laughs> terrible. It was horrible. But at least I didn't have that boombox anymore. So, <laughs> we'll
2: There's the easier there. ways to get rid of a boombox. I, <laughs> I <know. laughs> For sure.
0: For sure, uh, yeah. Did you go to um, uh, what the the Toba Lake Toba?
2: Uh, where's that? Is that in Myanmar?
0: No, no, that's on Sumatra as well. That's um, uh, it's a volcanic. It's a beautiful volcanic lake with an island in the middle of it, and uh, I forget the name of the town and the island. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Sumatra is cool. I I like Sumatra a lot.
2: I don't think I went. No, that was too far north. I did not go that way. Yeah. I, I kind of went straight across the island to the coast, and then cycled down the coast to the like the southern tip of it.
0: Oh, right, yeah. like Nias on the, uh, the all the surfer paradise over yeah, there on exactly, the other side. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I
2: don't know if that even exists anymore either. They had that tsunami like yeah. uh, a couple of years before I went there, so it's like a lot of stuff was hadn't recovered, will never recover, or you know, on its way back anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that was really serious. So then you said you ended in Jakarta. Uh
2: yeah. Um I left the bike there and then uh flew out to Bali and then kind of bussed and trained my way back to Jakarta before flying back to the States. And this wow. yeah, um this was all part of like uh me moving back from China to the US. Like I'd shipped all my stuff back home and then uh I was like well I got nothing to do, so I saved up some money and that was kind of, um, oh, I should mention like part of the impetus behind that trip was like uh, there's a, gr- a community called Warm Showers. I don't know if any of your other guests have mentioned that. Hmm. It's, it's like couch surfing, um, but it's for cycle tourism. Hmm. And so, you know, you can host, you can stay and it's free. And so I would, uh, I hosted maybe like a hundred people on that and and when i was living in china just i loved it i loved being a host and i loved it being like making people comfortable making people feel like you know they're back at home and like we got food we've got you know we got alcohol we could do it what, whatever you know and um and so just meeting all these people time and time again and listening to the different stories and different adventures and backgrounds of uh of people i met it's like yeah i definitely need to be part of this so right yeah that was a big factor and uh but yeah that's awesome um, all part of moving back to the states
0: <laughs> right so and, and when you move back to the states was that um a deliberate decision like okay my asia this this part of my life is over uh i want to move on
2: yeah it was like at the time i'd been teaching at the same school for like four years maybe and you know there wasn't and I knew this going into the job, but there wasn't any move to like, you know, I wasn't going to be like a director of the, you know, uh, department or the headmaster, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I knew that wasn't going to happen. And then I was like, well, I do like this teaching. So maybe I'll get like, I got a master's in uh, education and well, I wanted to do that. And so I was like, and now's as good a time as any and yeah i'd been in i'd been in south korea before that as well um mm. and yeah so like the asia thing had been it was i called it uh mission accomplished i guess right right
0: uh yeah you didn't meet someone and decide to get married and and spend the rest of your life there
2: nah yeah not so much it's, uh Of nice people there, but yeah, (laughs) never found the one, I guess. (laughs) Right. Right.
0: Yeah, that's always, uh, I mean, for me, that was, that was, it's something I think about getting older because when I was younger, there was always this like, well, maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll meet a Dutch girl and, and I'll live in Holland the rest of my life, or, you know, maybe I'll, I'll meet a Brazilian chick and and, then I'll, and I'll learn Portuguese. And, you know, there was always this kind of like, never know what the next chapter is going to be right yeah uh, yeah and then you get to a certain age where it's like yeah i, I don't think they're going to be a lot more chapters <laughs> <Like> I, <laughs> I sort of see see the trajectory here which is good i'm i'm fine with it but it's definitely a different you know different phase of life um, yeah so growing up, man, it is growing up and growing out
2: <laughs> um you uh so then you came back and you were where were you living in the states Um, I mean, I kind of moved, or I kind of bounced around, uh, my sister offered to take me in for a few months and and she lives in Madison, Wisconsin. Mm. Um, so I stayed with her and her husband and then I moved to my parents' house and they live in, uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And, uh, that was kind of where I had like established residency as an American living abroad. Right. And if that makes sense. And, um, so like my driver's license is from North Carolina, dude. I still use my mother's address. Yeah, yeah, I, I do as well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's, yeah. it's the one I know. It's dependable. It'll always be there. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. hopefully. Um, so anyway, and I, I so I moved in with with them, uh, and yeah, I just remember like day two or three of like moving back to my parents' house. And I was laying in bed and like the floor of my mom's like study, and uh, I was like, I was "Like, what the hell happened?" Like six months ago, I was cycling the world. You know, I was living in China. And now I'm sitting on the floor of my parents' house. Like, <laughs> I was like, "I got to get out of here." Right. <laughs> uh, so, like, I founded a cheap apartment and uh, yeah, moved out like a week or two later and started um, getting the masters at UNC, and. Yeah, that was a good decision, too. Learned a lot. And uh, uh, it's kind of propelled me forward in the teaching career. And
0: yeah. So was this Latin American trip, uh, well, not even Latin American, this this entire Western Hemisphere trip, was this uh, to sort of mark the end of the master's degree and before you get into more of a career trajectory?
2: Uh so the masters only lasted a. It was only a year program. They do it quick, and mm. um, and because it, it's designed to be for like you know working people essentially, so they want to get it done. Right. And so no, I've been. I was. I moved up to this the DC area uh, when I graduated from that, and I was teaching in Maryland for a couple of years. Uh, for this would be students from like I would say entirely from El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras and that was the middle school job um and i think part of that was like kind of drove me to uh go on this trip is this i'd never been to latin america before and i had all these students from latin america and that's primarily who you'll be teaching as a esl teacher in the states um so i really wanted to learn more about that and definitely get a you know learn a little bit of the language and
0: so why why go to alaska why not just start in texas
2: i mean you got to go to alaska (laughs) 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 that was that was definitely a that's a top number one bucket list uh, for me it was to go to alaska and like there's no better way to do it than by bicycle i I loved it
0: right so what did you do you you flew into anchorage and started from there
2: no, I did a uh, Prudhoe Bay, at the top. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dude, you're you're kind of an extremist, aren't you?
2: <laughs> it's weird because it's like people say that, and it's like when you do it, it's when you're in it, it doesn't feel that extreme. You're just you know you got your tent, you got some, you got enough food, you know, you cycle all day and pitch a tent and then uh, eat your food and do it again, and like you know, I never felt like particularly in danger or anything like that and that's i'm definitely not trying to seek out like i'm not a thrill seeker in that regard that's for sure but it's like you know you i don't know i I wanted to see that it's a part of the world that i've never seen before like tundra or the far north the midnight sun everything like that and so i was just and this a lot of cyclists a lot um the Fruto Bay to Ushuaia route is like a, one of the premier cycle touring routes on earth. And so originally mm-hmm. that was my plan, but, you know, after a year I'm like, okay. <laughs>
0: so it. you came down through uh, the Brooks range, right? The-
2: yep. You go over the Brooks range into um, Fairbanks and you cross the only bridge on the Yukon river, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. And um, yeah, into Fairbanks. And then I turned, east uh and went through dawson city in the yukon and yeah
0: you went you know through
2: toke yeah exactly yeah 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 toke's cool
0: yeah i hitchhiked I that was
2: uh, a campground there and you know in i don't know end of july last year and then they sent me a christmas card it got to my parents' house
0: yeah that's cool
2: that's awesome and like you know when you register you write your address down there and then I right. didn't think anything about it and then like it's like, hey, you got a Christmas card from Alaska. Who do you know there? It's like nobody. Oh, no. <laughs> so, there it was.
0: That's cool. Wow. So uh how did you handle the Darien gap?
2: Uh I flew.
0: <laughs> good. All right, good. You have some sense. I, yeah, I thought you were gonna I, say I, I carried my bike through the jungle. Like, yeah, it's dude. not that hard. You just push uh, it, you
2: know. Nah, uh. <laughs> no, like uh I, I I went to Panama City and um Originally, I was going to take a boat from uh, what is the eastern Panama to Cartagena, uh, but there you can maybe I heard rumors that you can maybe hitch a ride on people's yachts and stuff like that. And that's like, that seems OK. And then they also do these like sailing cruises for but they're expensive. They're like seven hundred dollars for like five five days. Hmm. and. I was like, "Eh." I thought about it, and then I was like, "What do you do with the bicycle on the on the boat?" And they're like, "Oh, we kind of strap it to the outside of the boat." And I'm like, "Nah."
0: (laughs) Saltwater, great. Great. Yeah, I
2: know. I was like, "No way am I putting my bike out there!" Like, yeah. So, hundred bucks gets you a flight, another fifty bucks gets your bicycle a flight. (laughs) Next thing you know, you're an hour later, you're in Cartagena. So,
0: yeah. (laughs) yeah cool so so you go colombia uh peru you you Uh, went along colombia
2: ecuador and then um through ecuador i i i stuck to the mountains mostly Mm. and then at that time of year it rained almost all the time and you know the further i would get there'd be more mudslides and road closures things like that and then i started uh you know mapping out my route through peru and um you know i was mapping it out and i was kind of texting another cyclist who was just behind me and i was like man i don't know about this peru thing it's rated all the time and the mountains are really tough and we calculated the elevation of peru and it's something like you know two hundred fifty thousand feet of gain and it's—I did the calculation that it's like a quarter of the way or halfway to the International Space Station or something. It's—it's <laughs> it's like ridiculous, yeah. you know. And so, uh, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I took a bus through Peru, I, good, I, I good. cycled good. down to the coast of Ecuador, and then got on a bus and, um, and yeah, it was the right decision. It was the definitely the right decision.
0: Right, <laughs> and that got you to Chile.
2: Um, that got me to, I took the bus and I, I, I met up with a, an English couple, actually. they were. We had to stop at the border for of Ecuador and Peru for like six hours because I took the bus from uh, Guayaquil. Um, and so I ended up talking to these uh, people from England and I was like, okay, you know, after just like a couple of minutes, you know, like the kind of traveler that people are. Or aren't, and uh, it's like, all right, th- this guy's my kind of guy, and uh, so we ended up just doing all of Peru together. We, we just, you know, did bus tour of Peru, and I just had to lug this stupid bicycle on every bus. Oh no!
0: <laughs> and you weren't even riding it; you're just. Like... I
2: know, I know. I was like, uh, like uh, the it was again. It was the right move. I regret nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. if the weather was better, maybe, but uh, for my time and place. Nah.
0: <laughs> and, and then did you go through the Atacama?
2: Oh, yeah. So to answer your question, um, we took the bus up to uh, the shore of Lake Titicaca. There's mm. a town called, I believe, Puno. And that's still in Peru. It'd be like southeast Peru. And then from there, I started riding again. And I went through like all of Bolivia. Um, oh, Bolivia. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Bolivia is so... cool, man. That's It's the only other country I've been to that did remind me of Mongolia. It's wow. so sparse, and though not nomadic in the same ways, it still retains those traits. Like, entire towns or villages will just be abandoned for a couple of months while they go out and tend their uh, llamas and alpacas and things. Um, bizarre country, really unique. Mm. But yeah, uh, all through Bolivia, and then um, they have the this route. It's like the Ruta de Lagunas in in southwest Bolivia that's the hardest cycling I've ever done. And then um, you get into Chile and then you cross the Atacama uh, to the Pacific ocean mm. and yeah, but it's almost entirely downhill. So that was all right. Ah,
0: nice. <laughs> you just coast for weeks.
2: Yeah. It's like 250 miles of just downhill. It's,
1: uh,
2: yeah. It, could be worse. If... it was something I was really looking forward to when I was in Bolivia. I was like, man, I'm going to get that downhill. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have
0: disc brakes?
2: Uh, I have rim brakes on this bike. Oof.
0: I mean, don't they yeah. overheat?
2: Aren't you worried about that? Uh, yeah. In some spots, it was I would have to stop and like, you know, let everything cool off for a few minutes and then keep going. It, it was only in a couple of spots. Brooks Range was one,
1: mm. and
2: um, because it's steep and you have to go pretty slow because it's still rocky. And then um, Costa Rica surprisingly had the most intense uh grades of anywhere i've been like really uh, I, it surprised me because you think costa rica is pretty developed and you you know everything's paved but man it, you're going like straight up
1: <laughs> <Wow>. straight <down. laughs>
2: huh. so let's talk about the
0: the challenges sure. uh i imagine you know you probably crashed a few times run into dogs or horses or something
2: uh, I am very proud to say I crashed zero times. No, no kidding.
0: Crash. Wow. Yeah. So no scraped knees, no broken bones, no broken wrists, nothing.
2: The only bumps and bruises I got was off the bike. Like in like some of these countries, the, the doors are a little too short for me.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. I had a perpetual bruise of my forehead when I was traveling. Constant. Exactly.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's just. And I, I, in Chile, they have like doors for for people our size, I guess. And um, and I was still like ducking through every single doorway. <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, it's going to take a minute to get rid of this hat. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But as far as challenges, uh, let me think. I, yeah, there's the physical challenge. But the thing that surprised me the most and I found was the greatest challenge was uh, being was loneliness like, you know, a trip like this and a trip like the last one and going backpacking and things like I'm pretty used to being alone and I'm very comfortable with it. Um, But this was like something about this trip, I think a little bit of a language barrier. Um, I was shocked at how few cyclists I met in Central and South America, Um, like very few. And yeah, just, uh, you're. uh I was alone for so long that it was the first time really in my entire life that I felt this feeling of being lonely. Hmm. And, you know, you just eat so many meals alone, you eat dinner alone. That's the worst. Eating meals alone sucks. And uh after a while, I would just go up to strangers and be like, you know, are you expecting anybody or uh, may I join you? And... I never had anyone turn me down, actually. Um, they're like, no, no, yeah, pull up a seat. Yeah, come on. And so that would say, I would say, is the biggest challenge. is just the, the loneliness. And yeah, like I said, it surprised me because uh, it's something I'd never experienced before.
0: So I, why was it more severe than Asia? Was it actually, do you think objectively you spent more time alone or was it that you were a different period of your life or... I would say both
2: of those factors. And uh, again, you're expected to know Spanish in these countries. And when you only come through with English, like people, I mean, they're still friendly and everything, but people aren't going to try to engage you in a conversation. They're like, no, all right. Hmm. And, um, and I think just the places I was at were, had far fewer tourists than Southeast Asia. You know, in Southeast Asia, you do meet a lot of more cyclists and the places you go tend, it's a bit more on the beaten path. Hmm. Um, that definitely had something to do with it, I would say. And it was curious because actually I was kind of reading, I, I write journals when I'm traveling and I was kind of reading through one um, yesterday so I could remember stuff to talk about during our conversation here. And how that, that was actually a feeling that came up relatively early, like in uh yukon i was already feeling kind of lonely and i was like man writing about like eating a meal alone again eating dinner alone again i was like you know so i think and at an age where you know you show up to a hostel or something and you're the oldest guy there and i'm only 38 and it's like you know these people want to party or you know this they're on their they're in a different wave than me some a lot of the time so it was harder to engage with those people as, as much as I would like to. Um I hope that doesn't sound like pretentious or anything, but it's just that no. it like, created a feeling of loneliness too.
0: I, I experienced that same thing. I mean, I, I wasn't on bike trips, but <clears throat> I definitely noticed as I got older that, I mean, in, the way I explained it to myself was that <clears throat> when I was, younger the the sort of excitement of the experience itself was enough to satiate me exactly But as i had agree. done that more and more i wanted more depth i wanted more connection i wanted something beyond just the thrill of holy shit this is awesome uh, you know yeah. i can't believe i get to do this the, the feeling of freedom and i mean i guess the feeling of disconnect was for a while uh so thrilling that yeah. it, it was enough but then after a while it's like uh i'd like some connect now you know i need yeah, yeah i need yeah. to connect um that's, and that, like- that, that, that's why i ended up with that girlfriend in the boom box in fucking sumatra <laughs> because i was like fly over here i'll pay for everything you know yeah. i just want to like be with someone that i love and and share this experience uh yeah so
2: i would say yeah that's like and it's kind of uh it's revolutionary not revelationary in a way Mm. because it's like yeah i'm one of the people that's like hmm you know could i live by myself in a homestead or do like one of this van life something and it's like after the trip it's like yeah actually probably not like i think after a few months i'd be like yeah, you want to connect. Like yeah. it's it's really part of your our nature, man. Like Yeah. And there's no shame in it. Become a weirdo. <laughs> I mean
0: that that's a really important you know, I I think it's awesome that you you know, you went through that the sort of phases, right? That you mm-hmm. you pushed yourself all the way in one direction and you really experienced that and and you had that also, that you have the the humility and honesty to to acknowledge, like this is not a hundred percent awesome all the time, right? Yeah. Like there are real there are things missing from this experience too. And you know, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday, and, and we were talking about how these days, <clears throat> you know, with identity politics and all this, it it feels like people don't understand the difference between disagreement and betrayal. Mm. You know, if you, because sometimes I'll say something on the podcast or on social media or something, and I'll hear from people who are like, Chris, I can't believe you say that you're so you disappoint me so much. And I get all this shit, like, dude, I don't even know you. Right. Like, (laughs) you know, so like how I disappoint you is way beyond my comprehension, but it's like the fact that we disagree on some issue Becomes uh, a sense of rejection and betrayal for a lot of people. And what, and I was extrapolating from that, I was thinking, like, how do you grow if you're not acknowledging that you can disagree with yourself, right? You can disagree with who you were two years ago.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's and like- that's
0: not a betrayal, that's just growth.
2: that's correct. I think a lot of people have a hard time coming to grips with that. And, uh, you know, you know, it's, and when I was feeling this way, it's like, you know, it's, this is, I've told myself that this is my favorite thing on earth to do. I love traveling by bicycle. And then I'm out there and I'm in like, you know, Colombia. It's like, uh, dream destination and i'm not enjoying it that much and i'm like you know what the hell's wrong with me man like why am i not enjoying this i'm doing exactly what i want do my favorite thing every day and yeah and so and that was it that was it and then it kind of what you're saying is like is this a dream that i this was a life dream of mine to cycle alaska to south america and then it's like but is this a dream that is 38 year old me's dream, or is this a dream right. from you know 30 year olds me? <laughs>
0: right, and you see that so all around. Working towards, yeah. I mean, how many people do we see who are you know in their 40s or 50s, and you can see that what they're doing is they're trying to fulfill their teenage dream of yeah, what yeah. adulthood would be, they're not adapting as they go. There's no yeah. shame in getting to Peru and saying, you know what? Fuck this. I'm getting on the bus. This is, this is, <laughs> I, I'm going to change up the plan here. There's no shame at all in that. In fact, to me, that's wisdom. That's growth. That's, in, you know, that's something deeper than just, I'm going to do it and I don't care. And I'm going to stick to it no matter what. That to yeah. me is, I'm sorry, that's not, I know our culture admires that, but I don't get it. I th- I think You adapt and change as you grow, as situations present themselves, as you meet different people, like the British couple you met. It's like, well, that's an awesome experience to get to hang out with some cool people for a while.
2: Right. Yeah. Like they they saved the trip, like for South America for me. Like little do they know, but yeah, we ended up traveling together for a few weeks and I was like, man, thank God. I just have some people to talk to. (laughs) And like, they happen to be English, which was also helpful just to (laughs) Yeah. You know, there's subtleties, and that it, it, you know, a non fluent or not native English speaker might not get, and then you get their little Britishisms too, which I always find amusing. Yeah, and uh, yeah, like that really broke the spell of being lonely for sure. And I was like, uh, very thankful to have them be a part of the trip.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Well, listen, man. It, this has been really cool. I'm I'm glad we uh, we got in touch and and that you got to. I, I know we've left out a million things and million experiences. <laughs> there's no way to uh, to like summarize a, a year of life in an hour. But so totally selfishly, uh, I have not traveled widely in in South America. I do speak Spanish. I've never been to Colombia. You I know. always wanted to. But when I was your age and younger, Colombia was totally impossible. Right. You right. like get off the plane and you're kidnapped before you get your luggage. It was like really bad. So I never went to Colombia. Bolivia sounds awesome. Uh, never been to Peru. N- never been to Chile. Briefly <laughs> in Argentina. I got to say, I'm not a big fan of Argentinian dudes
2: uh i didn't meet very many but i'll reserve judgment highest
0: argentina has the highest ratio of psychologists per capita of any country in the world that's a weird statistic yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh anyway so it sounds to me like correct me if i'm wrong but the two countries you would sort of uh, highly recommend would be colombia and bolivia
2: of this trip I mean, if you want to experience South America like pretty purely, I would say Colombia is your answer. Like that place has it all. Like it's, you know, it's got the noise, it's got the music, it's got the the people. The women are beautiful. Everyone is like, I mean, I'm going to say this about every country, but everyone's friendly. <laughs> Uh and it's yeah. like, but for me as a cyclist, it's like it has a strong cycling culture as well. Like uh-huh. they produce like um Tour de France riders, and it's it's a it's definitely a part of the country is cycling in Colombia. And right. so you get respect there as a cyclist, and people are very courteous as drivers. Um uh the food's alright. <laughs> it's not Mexican food, but uh, uh yeah, it's all right and uh, it's cheap. <laughs> Yeah, because I would, and it has just like everything you want. Like, it has jungle, mountains, beaches, uh everything in between. So, yeah. rivers. It's it's breathtaking, honestly. Yeah,
0: yeah. You my heard. one my one hesitation is I don't salsa dance. I I think that would be a problem.
2: <laughs> they really want you to dance. there. <laughs> they really do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I was in Venezuela years ago, and I met some Colombian people, and and uh, they took me out to a club one night, and and I just I was like I just can't dance to this. Like I'm not a great dancer in the best of circumstances, but this this I just don't get that that like cha 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 energy. Yeah.
2: yeah, like and they do, and they do it pretty well. Oh, and oh like, they're man, great. Some guy, and you can. Yeah, you can shake it, man. They're awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I remember, t- I said to them, like, I don't really dance to this kind of music, and they were like, well, uh, "What do you? What kind of music do you people dance to in your country?" And I said, "You know, like funk, like, like sure, Prince." Yeah. And they were like, "People dance to Prince? Like, they knew who Prince was. They knew the <laughs> music, but they just couldn't imagine dancing to it." And I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> yeah, yeah." Yeah, people James Brown, you know, like, huh, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah,
2: man. Yeah. Colombia, Brazil, you gotta know how to dance. I'm not a dancer either. So it was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing. You're missing out, I think. That's what it's, it's
0: Yeah, missing. it's another language we don't speak, exactly. right? Exactly.
2: Yeah, it's like music.
0: It's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. <laughs> Michael, thank you for your time, man, and for sharing your experiences and uh and good luck and and what's coming up.
2: Thanks, man. Yeah, school starts in about a month. So, I'm getting ready for it. And right, yeah, thanks yeah. for the opportunity. It's uh, like I said, I'm honored.
3: He said, Baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away, I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time, thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're gonna say a big deal If you wanna be free, say what you wanna feel spend the night with me I'm gonna take you up in my arms And if we must go down, we'll go singing to the smoke alarms We'll dance into the
1: ground